Hey everybody, welcome to another Indie Dev Lounge of Classic Gaming Brothers. I'm Seth. And I'm Zach. And I am Steve. Hi Hi, Steve. Steve. Hi. Welcome to our studio. Uh, we hope that you had a, a wonderful flight over to our, our studio and, and that you appreciate flying on the um, Classic Gaming Brothers uh, <laughs> airline, only available for our, our, our special guests. If that was an airline, I would not fly it, by the way. <laughs> that's, not to, that, that's not to knock you guys. It's just that like it's expensive to run airplanes, and that takes a lot of... like You guys don't seem to know anything about airplanes to be honest with you we, we no, don't, I, don't. We, I barely know how they fly <laughs> <laughs> i don't even know how they fly so uh we did also clean up the studio so uh it's it's much cleaner than when previous guests have left it in not to break the third wall but i can actually see their studio that's true <laughs> that is true it is clean so we're here today to discuss a project that steve is working on in the indie space and to remind our listeners since we don't do these often uh the indie dev lounge is a, a space that we can can highlight small creators and the creators don't necessarily have to be video game developers though we've had those on the past um, but we've also had publishers and now we have something entirely new that's here so we're excited to talk to Steve about his project and we'll uh, as we do with these episodes uh, we will get right into it so uh, Steve why don't you give us the uh, the kind of uh, pitch so to speak, of what you are currently working on. Yeah, okay, so you want me to pitch the project, or do you want me to start with who the heck I am? Yeah, why don't you tell us who you are to give uh, credentials, as it were, and then you can talk about your project after the audience has been well-suited with actually that you're not some person that we decided to just grab off the street. <laughs> we just found Steve yeah. at, at the local uh, stop-and-go yeah. here. <laughs> he wanted a coffee, and we... And we brought him in. Um, no. Uh, so I, I met you guys last year at uh, Retrowood Expo. Um, and we're hanging out with our friend Evil Jim and my friend Slack and, and Retro Runner and some people at, at my booth. And so that booth was for a strategy guide series that I started called The Easy Way, which aims to help casual gamers beat really hard NES games. And it breaks it down in a, in a really in-depth way, in a, in a modern way. Because we, we have these tools to break down RAM locations and do all this crazy stuff that we couldn't back in the 80s and 90s. So uh, yeah. it's from that perspective. So... Uh, uh, yeah, check those out uh, if you're into that kind of thing. So uh, I've been doing NES stuff for about 10 years, been pretty much every job that you can think of. I've done podcasting, I've done retro streaming on Facebook and Twitch and YouTube, all across different platforms. Uh, I've been to video game conventions and done live shows and been guests and just, you know, anything that I can do. My current in- interests reside with uh, high score. In the last two or three years, I've been really, really happy competing there as opposed to speedrunning. The speedrunning uh, community is really great, but they're a lot younger than me. So this high score community is a little older and I just relate better with with those people. Just to level set our audience, speedrunning is getting through the game as quickly as possible and posting that time after getting it. Um, you have to record it and then you post it to generally like speedrun.com to the appropriate game and then it gets witnessed by a moderator and validated and then that gets it gets approved and put into the ranking. And so in that speedrunning, you can get through a game however you can. Some, some use like exploits in the game to... Uh, to get through on the time like there's wall jumping in super mario brothers one and stuff like that so and then now you're talking about high score now what's that versus like speed running like what's the the difference well so that actually segues into the project that i'm working on so i just so i have a new magazine that i'm going to tell you guys about uh that i'm working on with a lot of really awesome people my first article for that magazine is actually a four-page article about 
the history of high score as it relates to the NES and how it compares to speedrunning. So most people who are listening may have heard of speedrunning or seen GDQ or something of that nature. So uh, the basic idea was that there were some players who were getting really good at games and they wanted to challenge themselves and try to make the game harder. So they tried to, to beat the game faster. And in that pursuit, uh, the community kind of rallied around it and they started finding all kinds of glitches. And it just became a just became a fun thing to do, right? Like, what can we find and how fast can we go? It really wasn't about the leaderboard or the world record of it. It was more of a community driven thing like this what's what's the coolest thing we can do and show it off right uh, and that's obviously grown to this huge market with gdq and stuff so but the retro stuff you know speedrunning has grown and it changes every year the retro stuff's pretty much non-existent at gdq now it's mostly modern games done quick is the largest speedrunning marathon in the world they raise over two million dollars a year for the prevent cancer foundation with two shows one in the summer one in the winter and those are live shows right they're live yeah. they're a week-long live stream so if you go to the oh, okay. games done quick cool. twitch you can watch an entire week of speedrunning from all different genres and, and consoles and stuff. Nice. And so that's kind of where that that community went. So for me, as far as high score goes, so high score is older. Was uh, Twin Galaxies was founded uh, 1979 or early 80s, right? Before speedrunning was even a thing. And players have been competing there for a very, very long time. So the knowledge base and the techniques there are much different than with speedrunning. For high score, uh, glitches and exploits and all that kind of stuff is banned. That makes the runs a lot less watchable, a lot less flashy, and just less entertaining right? I would say that they're more true to what the developers would want you to do. Uh, some believe that. Um, I enjoy it more because I, I do feel like it's a more natural way to play through the game, and I have more fun competing that way, but that's just me personally. For, like, for example, I, I recently got uh, the world record in 1942 high score, and that was a really nice. tough record. So the guy who had that before, his name is Tom Vadova, and listen, nobody really knows about this guy, but this guy is one of the best NES players ever in history of the world. I mean, the stuff that he did in Twin Galaxies is insane. So anytime I get to go after one of his records, I, I, I know him, I've talked to him, He's he supports me in going after his stuff. He's a very humble, awesome dude. And sometimes I'm stuck on one of his records and I'll message him or call him and he'll give me some tips. That's what it's supposed to be about, right? It's supposed to be about community stuff. So that's why I like that place better. But no one wants to watch me play 1942 for two hours. It's just not, it's not, <laughs> it's not entertaining, right? Like GDQ is not going to let me play 1942 for two hours on the stream. But you'll get, you'll beat all their scores yeah well it's, it's, it's just no one's gonna don't no one wants to watch that right they want to see the cool flashy tricks and the glitches and the skips and all that it's Zips. true it's true i i went down a i went down a, a, a super mario brothers hole just the other day and i was watching like you go you watch all the like the different exploits that they could do like the wall jumping and the like break through the the bricks and stuff like that and yeah you can actually get mario inside of a brick and then slide through the wall like that's yeah, a, yeah, it's a yeah, type yeah. of it's yeah, a type I've of that. Well. Uh, the, what is it? The the bullet bill glitch. Bullet bill you glitch. can have like bullet bill like bring you along, and uh, and then you go down to like rom hacking. Then like right, so that's like the next evolution is to see how these people have changed the game. But what you're talking about with high score is more of a true to form getting essentially the high score of a game well it's not like super mario brothers had a timer it has a timer that kills you but it was right. never intended to be timed right so most most speed runs they're applying a timer to something that wasn't designed that way and i think that's yeah. that's where you get the cool interesting weird things like oh this is actually cool because this is faster but we would never normally do this with score the, the game had a built-in score already so the developers kind of had an idea of what they wanted the score to be like and what point values they wanted to add. So they were more involved in developing that aspect of the game than they were speedrunning. Unless it's mm. like Rad Racer or something like that that had a timer. But even then, you find exploits. But So score is more natural. So Twin Galaxies doesn't... I would say they, they try to... F- 
be more towards the what they believe the developer's natural way to play through the game. And the games that high score are going to be looking at are really games that have the scoring capability, right? Because there are games that are out there that have no scores associated with it. Some, yeah. It's actually very few. But see, that that's the thing is you can pretty much speedrun anything. There's a there's a very famous speedrunner called Arcus. He's basically the, the biggest thing in retro. He's awesome. And he used to speedrun a burrito. Like he had a channel point redemption on Twitch where you'd, you'd go into his kitchen with a camera and see how fast you can make a burrito. Right. So I don't know. It's just um, I'm not a big proponent of adding the speed element to something just for the sake of calling it a speed run. Like if you're going to do a deathless run or a damageless run or a no hit run, it doesn't have to have speed attached to it. Those are separated things to me. But it seems like if someone does a damageless run, they have to put a timer on it and upload it to a category that's their only they're the only person in just to be on the speed run board. And it just it just seems unnecessary to me. But hey, I'm not the community. I'm just one guy, and I'm, right. I'm older. I I started in the days of Speed Demos Archive before Speedrun.com was even a website, and mm-hmm. so that's how it was back then. So I'm old school in that way. But the newer generation really loves the accessibility and the ability to make any category they want and upload it and get it approved very very quickly. You know, less restrictions, more accessibility. They really flock to that, and I think that's grown Twitch and it's allowed a lot of people to make money for their families, and that's awesome. For me, personal NES fulfillment. That's the only reason I do it, and because I want to do that, I want to compete on the same base level. Because uh, on Twin Galaxies, you you have to use original hardware. It's original hardware is compared oh, okay. against original hardware. On Speedrun.com, you can compare emulators or virtual consoles against hardware, and it just doesn't feel right to me. Right, because you don't know what's running under the emulator, as it were. Right. With technology nowadays, you can you can really do any. You can have a bot play your speed yeah. run and just pretend to do the buttons. Yeah, and which I think that's not an accusation. I mean, there's been plenty of speedrunners caught cheating on speedrun.com. That's, yeah, that's pretty. Uh, oh, yeah, it's yeah. pretty yeah. A known thing. It's harder to do that on original hardware, <laughs> for sure. Again, I'm going to talk about in the article that you guys can read in the magazine that we'll get to. But Twin Galaxies has more layers of verification and more hoops that you have to jump through to get your run approved. And so I like that better. I, I'm willing to put in money and time into my hobby and, and verify my runs to make them look legit as, as possible. Yeah. Yeah. Right. That's what my hobby is. It's what I want to do. Speedrun.com is not really like that. It's more about personal best times. And the world record's almost completely irrelevant on, on Speedrun.com with most streamers. Right. They go to a leaderboard. They just try to they play for 30 days or 90 days or they attach some gimmick to it to hype up the speed run. They get a time and then they move on. And that's totally valid. It's just not what I what I like to do. Now. So you alluded to uh, the magazine. So uh, why don't we why don't we talk about that? So um, what what is what is your what is what is coming soon, as it were? Very soon. We don't want to break the time. Like when this was recorded, we'll travel in time. But no, I uh, some uh, so I, I I told you guys to have some books that I published my first book through another publishing company, um, and that contract expired, and I wanted to make more books, and I, I just uh, wanted to kind of go off on my own and do my own thing. I. I I didn't have necessarily a negative experience with the publishing company. It's just if I can do it myself, I can keep more of the money and have more control over the things, right? And then, so I published some more books. Uh, I published a Fester's Quest book, a Jaws book, and a, um, a Punch-Out book that's going to be released here pretty soon that I sold oh. on the Kickstarter in the Easy Way series. And last year, we did a whole convention tour showing that off to people and met a lot of great people like yourself. And so um, as a part of that, I, I own my own you know, media publishing company that I, that I started. Right. So, and it's mostly just my own stuff, but there's some other people working with me now to create things. And, uh, in the Nest community, I started to get more well-known and more connected with those people. And the idea of a magazine was pitched to me. 
I didn't really like the idea at first, but uh, it was it's one of those it's one of those things, right? Uh, where you somebody pitches you an idea and you don't really like it, you you kind of don't want it to be true because you want to work on something else. And so uh, Slackinator, my my good friend that you guys met, uh, we're we're Ness buddies. We talk Ness all the time, and he's a damageless NES guy, and I'm a high score guy, so we relate a lot. He was like, "Look, I think this magazine has some feet. Make some calls." So I was like, "All right, I'm gonna call a few people, and they're gonna tell me no, and they don't want to work on it, and we'll just." we'll just be done with this and then i called a guy and he was like yes and i called another guy and he said yes and then five ten calls later we've got 15 employees nice and so then it was like well now i have 15 people that can do stuff and instead of just me doing the whole guide and shit by myself so that makes that project a lot more manageable right so a lot of people loved what i had to say so here's the magazine the magazine isn't is something that i've wanted for a long time it's an all nes focused magazine Okay, it's not a Nintendo magazine where we're talking about Wii and Game Boy Advance and Switch and Wii U. This is NES. Okay, now um, it's not a traditional magazine, uh, so to speak. Like it's not. Uh, it's sort of a mixture between uh, Electronic Gaming Monthly, Sports Illustrated, Game Pro, and Nintendo Power. It's got elements of all those plus a plus a modern edge to it. So we want to show you a lot of cool NES stuff. I can sit here and tell you all kinds of cool NES stuff that that you guys don't know. We're going to show that off in the magazine. We're going to show off all the cool NES people that don't have a platform on GDQ or any other place uh, that are doing really cool things in very famous games like Legend of Zelda or Metroid or Ninja Gaiden, right? And and not just in speedrunning, but in high score and programming, you know, homebrew games. We have people developing beer recipes that are given away for free in the magazine, uh, guitar tabs, uh, sheet music, right? We have interviews with experts, former Nintendo employees or former magazine employees from that era, uh, former artists and game developers from that era, all NES. And so a team of myself and a whole bunch of really talented people, authors, journalists, speedrunners, high score people, all kinds of people, bloggers. I mean, we just have such an eclectic... Uh, we have a, a guy that's a feature film animator that's working with us. So we have a really, really talented team, and they all love the NES, and that's the central thing. Is The number one thing when we call someone is, do you, how much do you love the NES? Explain how much you love it. And if they did, then they, they could make stuff with us. And so this is the world's first all-NES-focused magazine, and we have categories ranging from things that you never even thought of before. You're going to get articles, you're going to get interviews, you're going to get editorials like you would see in any other magazine. But you're also going to get a bunch of stuff. Collectible stuff, pins, comics, posters, cards. We have a Garbage Pail series inspired card set. Um, just anything cool that we can make that is, gives that nostalgic chord and makes you feel like the NES days, we're going to do it. And so the Kickstarter maybe it should be live it should be live when this airs i think and for our listeners in the show notes we'll have links to the easy way guides and we'll also have links to uh steve or also known as 8-bit steve's uh kind of like his socials as well as the kickstarter of course which is probably the primary thing that you guys want to click on yeah is the kickstarter link so if i i'm listening to class i'm a classic gaming brothers fan mm-hmm. and i'm listening <laughs> to the episode yes and I, I click your Kickstarter link. What am I expecting to get? And you're telling me it's a, a periodical or a magazine. Mm-hmm. How often is that periodical going to be published? And how much content do you have going forward? Like, is it a monthly release? Is it a quarterly release? Um, like, what, an annual magazine? Like, how is that going to work for me? So the magazine is quarterly to start. Uh, so obviously, we're already halfway through this year. So there's only two issues for this year. And then four for next year. So 
if you go into the Kickstarter, you'll be able to purchase the two for this year and pre-order the four for next year. We have unveiled the first issue and most of the stuff that's in that and unveiled some details about issue two that's going to release quarter four this year. But the other four issues are kind of up in the air. Honestly, this is one of the questions that we get asked the most is, aren't you going to run out of stuff? No, we have enough content to do this for until I'm 90 years old. Like there's so much NES content that is unknown that that Kotaku or GDQ or other platforms just won't publish. And so that's kind of the thing. I, re- I watched this. This is a really random thing. I watched this interview with Rob Zombie and he basically said, whenever you make something that's cool, you suck the money out of it. And so what that basically means is sometimes you're really passionate about something and you think it's cool, but it doesn't have to be, you know money attached to it. Yes, it costs money for you to buy the magazine, but we have costs and we have to pay people to write articles and things like that. But we're not trying to become rich with the magazine. We're trying to provide something for the community and and, and a platform for the community to reach out. So it's quarterly. The magazine's going to be somewhere between 40 and, and 70 pages every issue unless we do a bigger one. You're going to you're gonna have articles from experts. You're going to have articles from very talented people who, are, who know what they're talking about. It's very casual and fun, right? It's more about people. It's a community-focused magazine. So we feature a lot of people in communities. So we talk about not really their accomplishments, but like, hey, this is a cool person who did all these things, but this is who they are and why they're doing these things and how their life is. And that's what the magazine is for. If we interview a Nintendo employee, we talk about their life. You know, how did they how did they get to Nintendo? What was their workplace like? Yeah, we talk about the things that they made there, too. But the feature is more about people. We're going to find people who have cool stories like that and interesting things to talk about uh, that are NES-related. And we're going to peel the onion back as far as we can and dig as deep as we can. And as the magazine grows, we're going to get access to more and more of those things. As far as other stuff, there's tons of stuff you can get in the Kickstarter. We've partnered with Canvas Quest, which is a really cool uh, Etsy store. So you can get a canvas print of our first cover artwork. You can get pins. We have custom pins that are being designed specifically for our magazine. It's called Nest Pro magazine i probably should have said that sooner that's Um, all right it'll be in the show notes too so yeah and so we have custom pins for that and each each issue of the magazine will have the following if you have that tier you you are totally welcome to buy digital versions of the magazine we also have a free version of the magazine it's a truncated version but you can get it totally for free all you have to do is sign up with your email every time we release one you'll get a free version so if i miss the kickstarter though i could still sign up yeah, I don't know how soon after the Kickstarter's over we're going to have that website live because that takes some work. Uh, mm-hmm. But yeah, you will be able to. It might be a couple of months, but uh, yeah, you absolutely can. And so you can buy digital versions. We are, we're also a physical magazine. You can buy print versions that'll ship to your house, just like a traditional Nintendo Power or Game Pro. With the print of the magazine, what kind of quality are, is going to be expected for like paper quality and stuff like that yeah that's a great question so not a lot of people ask that so uh because i because uh, one of the advantages that my magazine has i think uh or our magazine has uh is i I own a publishing company and i own my own printing equipment and i have a background i used to work at xerox and i have a lot of friends that still work at xerox and i I know a lot more about the printing industry than probably most direct publishers do and so our magazine is going to have the highest quality stuff that that we can fit and make look good and you're gonna you're gonna really like the quality of this magazine is what I can tell you. And is it going to be color inside? Oh yeah, yeah, absolutely color. Every it's full, it's a full color magazine. The cover of the magazine is going to be thicker, like a thicker cardstock style. Ma- yeah. And then the inside is going to be a gloss, a high gloss paper. I don't want to give you I, specific paper sizes because nobody knows what those are. But right, it's <laughs> the high, it's the highest quality that we can print on without it feeling too thick and just looking not good. We've got a right, good balance yeah. there. 
so you can buy digital versions. You can have the printed version sent to you, right? Each issue is going to have a pin, an exclusive pin for that issue that you can buy that Canvas Quest is going to make for us. Each issue is going to have a specific bookmark that's going to be attached to some some kind of concept inside that magazine that you can get at our booth. Each issue is going to have a an article about uh, sheet music, beer recipe that Slackinator is providing that's NES themed. We have a controller overlay that you can lay onto your NES controller that's going to come with each issue and it's going to be themed to that issue. So there's lots of very specific stuff like that. We have a poster that's going to come with each issue. If you have that you know, that deluxe tier that has those additional items. But if you don't care about those items, you can just get the magazine. You know, we've got something for everybody. We have tiers all the way from $20 all the way up to our top tier. So if I wanted just the magazine, like what what am I looking at for a tier? Okay, so our magazine at this time with the current cost of things is going to retail for $10. We sell our PDFs for $5. That's a little more than some other places would sell their PDFs for. But we feel like this magazine is really, really high quality and and we're trying to make the paper and the print high quality. It costs a little bit more for that and yeah. so 10 and 5 is where, what we settled on and what makes sense for our magazine and i guarantee you once you read one of these and if you love nes it's it's well worth it and then shipping would be an additional expense as well yeah but it's it's pretty minor so we only ship to the u.s right now because u.s has media mail and media mail is right. a very a very great thing that you guys may or may not know about but it allows us to ship books at a much reduced price Instead yeah. of based on uh, distance, it's just based on weight. So I could ship a book to Hawaii for the same price that I could ship it to three doors from my house. Right, right, right. And it's a really good, it's a really, really good rate. From, right. It's a great, media mail is a great thing to put yeah. in and ship. Mm-hmm. So, uh, you know, a pound, uh, one pound media mail is $2.16 to ship. But the book doesn't weigh a pound. So you have the capability, though, of scaling. Like, oh, so yeah. if this blows up. And then you'll be you'll be okay if you get a hundred thousand people wanting to read your magazine. Yeah, yeah, it's inf- it's I wouldn't say it's infinite, but I would love to get to a hundred thousand. But you know, yeah, it's just our just being on our podcast immediately. Yes, one hundred thousand subscribers, guys. Listen, if we go get to a hundred thousand subscribers, you guys are coming. We're doing something. We're going to like an island in the Pacific. Or something <laughs> like that. That's an absurd number of magazine subscribers for something like this. I like I like the absurdity. I think it is also helpful. So I've actually recently returned to reading a magazine because I feel like in today's market, even in the NES market, yeah, it's saturated with games. There's just so many games out there. If you look at the entire industry as a whole, it's just a sea of games. You go on Steam and there's like 10 games launching a second. It's ridiculous. And uh, 100 games going on sale a second. Exactly. Yeah. And new games are being made for the NES. And and having a resource like a magazine can help at least in the way that I generally consume gaming magazines to kind of try to help me orient to what I want to play, right? To help make that decision for me because there's too many choices. And if I just end up like just scrolling through my Steam list for four hours, which is a game in its own right, right? It's just like... <laughs> well, that's, that's kind of what the magazines were doing originally, right? The Game Pros and Nintendo Powers were trying to give you reviews and show you the games so that you could make educated decisions about what to buy in that, in that marketplace. So our second issue of the magazine features Joe Granado. And Joe Granado is one of the guys who developed Nestmaker and yeah, Mystic Origins yeah. and Mystic Searches. Yeah, so I met he, you. He's a nice guy. He's super nice. Yeah, he's featured. We're going to do a whole spread on him and how that came about. And uh, for those listeners out there, because there's still people who come up to me and have no idea what Nestmaker is or that people are still making NES games. Droganado accidentally made a software, uh, and you can read about it in the issue two of the magazine, that helps 
people code NES games without having real coding knowledge, and nothing like that really existed before that. We're talking uh, GUI-based or, or visual-based NES coding. And so when there are probably more homebrew NES games that have been developed since that software was released, then there are actual, legit U.S. licensed NES games now. I, I think there's well over a 1,000, probably close to two or 3,000 homebrew NES games out there. That is a huge thing for the community, right? It's it's breathed new life into the NES. We can play these on original cartridges. They're great, right? And people can make their own games, like just like when, when you were a kid. But we're going to try to feature as many homebrew games as possible, especially the ones that me and my friends like or other, other writers want to write about that they like. And we're going to try to do that as much as possible, right? And I, I think as the magazine grows, we're going to have more and more homebrew people that want to be featured and be a part of the magazine going forward. So why did you decide on this project? Why did you decide on doing a magazine i like collaborating with people right like i love nes i like have being friends with other people who love nes i like talking about it i like discovering new strategies and talking about the games right because that's what it was like when we were kids and so i think everyone that plays retro for the most part at least that are like me are trying to connect with that part of their life their nostalgic part of their life and so yeah. the more friends of the, that i started to get my friends wanted to make it so they're like hey our, our friend steve is a publisher and he's written books and he knows how to do this so let's yeah. Let's let's work together with him, and then we brought on guys for video and guys for art and guys for you know guys who had different skill sets than me, and they all love NES and they're just all kind of driving towards a specific goal. So nice. the the main the main reason is I, like I said earlier in the cast, I've pretty much done it in every aspect of NES that there is. Right, I want to make new stuff. I want to try to innovate new things. Right, yeah. uh, I I. Don't, I I don't think there's ever been an all NES magazine except for early Nintendo Power, and certainly not something as comprehensive as this with as much uh, content, and certainly not stuff that's made directly by people working uh, in these particular industries. So that's interesting to me. I love to innovate and make new things, especially when it helps the community. I think this is going to help homebrew people. It's going to help streamers. And those are all my friends, right? These are all the yeah, people who, yeah. who spend every day of their life playing NES. And so it gives them a platform to show their stuff off. I think it's great, this idea, because off the top of my head, I can't really think of almost any currently running NES themed magazines of this kind of nature i know there's like i think it's uh retro something magazine which does all sorts of retro games but it honestly gets kind of confusing so yeah. uh retro magazine was started years back um actually uh one of the ma one of the co-founders of that magazine is our editor-in-chief uh, oh awesome uh david he came on as the editor-in-chief of that magazine he's done all kinds of other awesome stuff too he's, he's an awesome dude so that magazine went bankrupt and was sold to another company that started producing it for a while and then COVID hit, and then they went to website only, and then now they're not producing it anymore. And it's, oh, okay. Yeah. But there's Retro Gamer Magazine, and there's Retro Magazine, and that got a little confusing. One's released in the UK, one was US-based. Yeah, so. yeah, yeah. I remember picking up Retro Gamer a few times, and I was like, oh, this is really cool. And then half the stuff was about the ZX Spectrum, and I was like, I don't know what this is. Yeah. I was like, it's cool, but like... <laughs> uh, it's the same for me. I mean, there's lots of great magazines out there. Old School Gamer Magazine is really great with Todd Friedman and uh, Ryan Berger. Those are cool dudes. Uh, I, love, I, I love what they're doing, and they've built a, mag a really big magazine over the course of four years. It just it doesn't fit me, right? It, they talk about a lot of stuff and, and stuff. Styles. Right. They're they're more of arcade, Atari, Coleco, Wonderswan, previous NES stuff, and yeah. uh, maybe some more modern things. And so I think there's a magical time for me and my friends, which is basically just 1985 to 1995, right? Yeah. Which is when the NES was released and then it was discontinued in 1995. But we also have a bunch of stuff that happened afterwards, like speedrunning and, and high scores and homebrew games and stuff that we can talk about. 
Um, yeah. we, we even have guys on our staff that are working on new Game Genie codes, ones that don't exist. Oh, that, that's awesome. That, that they pro- they're trying to program cool, fun things to do with some games to give to the readers. So that way you can load up your favorite game and try out this new Game Genie code that no one's ever seen before and have it do something really, really cool. We have tons of ideas like that. So we actually have a number of European listeners who I don't want to not acknowledge if they got this far in the episode. Listen, guys, Um, I would love to send you my magazine. It's too cost prohibitive. The shipping is just too expensive. Maybe a year down the road, once we've established the magazine more and we have some more revenue, we could do subsidized shipping for you guys. But to start off, we're just not going to be able to do that. Would you um, work with, if it was like a one-off and somebody wanted and was willing to pay for the shipping? Yes. They're not going to want to pay for the shipping. It's going to cost four to eight times the cost of the magazine and it's going to be inside customs for three or four weeks there you go if anyone if anyone's got deep pockets and really wants a (laughs) a nest magazine then uh but the pdf will be available which they can yeah they can buy yeah yeah, yeah. and they can for sure get the digital pdf so your european listeners if you're interested for nest pro there will be a digital pdf that you can purchase and it will be free to ship to you because it will come via the internet (laughs) yeah so other magazines so there's another great magazine out there called nintendo force that focuses on nintendo but i want to sit here and say i've read every single issue they've released but i think generally their stuff focuses on wii wii u uh switch uh it's prominently featured which is totally great right it's just not what i'm into we want to try to fill the magazine with just nes stuff as much as we can jam in there yeah and now what about nintendo like what do you think nintendo do you think nintendo's gonna say anything or do you think they care like no this is probably i don't know look i'm gonna say sit here and say that i'm sort of expert but here's what i can tell you uh i worked at another publishing company for a couple of years and that publishing company had 12 kickstarters across 10 years and they released all kinds of stuff that's under fair use and they'd never had any problems and so I learned from that and from their what their things are that they do. And when I released my Friday the 13th book, I was really worried that I, that uh, the owners of the Friday the 13th franchise were going to sue me or, or take my Kickstarter down. And I went to an intellectual property lawyer and I paid the money out of my pocket because I want to invest in my hobby. And he gave me lots of great insight and gave me a roadmap to staying inside fair use safely. And yeah. my book has been released and I've never had any issues. Now, there have been other Kickstarters recently that have been taken down by Nintendo and other other companies. And that's because they're doing some things wrong. I'm not going to sit here and point out all those things. They sure, can figure sure. that out for themselves and spend their own money. But we have that sorted. Perfect. Nintendo, Nintendo is not going to mess with us. We have enough connections. We know people in Nintendo. We have direct lines to Nintendo employees who handle these kinds of problems and we've discussed that we know what they don't want us to do and what they're they're okay with us doing and we stay way past that line right we don't go anywhere near it if they say don't do it we don't even dabble which i mean adds to your validity right so it's it's not like you're you're going to create something that's going to get immediately squashed by the big old corporate lawyers or anything no because you know all the stuff in our magazine is from a, a console that they don't even sell anymore Nintendo Force is doing stuff on the Wii U, and they have comics and stuff in their magazine, and that's all yeah. fine. So we, we're, we're very squarely safely inside that. Now, uh, I can't say we're not going to try to push the boundaries in some areas and see where the where it lies, because we want to have fun and we want to make cool things. But, you know, uh, the magazine is very safe from that, from a fair use perspective. So I, I don't know if we've we've talked about your involvement with the NES community. We've talked about NES Pro, but where does your obsession with the NES 
come from? And why is it not uh, an Atari 2600 or an SNES? Or why did it, why did the master system? (laughs) Yeah, the master system. Or even, even to that point, you're, you're 8-bit Steve. Why did 8-bit Steve never become 16-bit Steve? Well, okay, you're starting to sound like my therapist. Uh, <laughs> but no, this this is the this is the truth of it. So I I have an unhealthy obsession for the NES, and it's not it's not really explainable. He, here's the deal: there's a time in I think when we're young, we don't know a lot about the world, and so our brain doesn't have a lot to think about. So we focus on things that make us happy in fleeting moments, and that's why we have a lot of nostalgic connection for things when we're young, right? Because our brain starts to stop making those connections as we get older. We get sadder. And we have more memories in there clouding things up and things just get more complicated. It's harder to tell what makes you happy and what doesn't. Um, so when we look back in our childhood, we think of these memories and we get happy because that's the only emotion that we had in our head at that time. Right. right? So uh, I grew up uh, very poor in a very poor suburb of Detroit. And uh, my dad had a lot of odd jobs and we moved around a lot. I went to four different elementary schools. Right. And so it's really tough to make friends when you're, just moving all the time, right? Like I, I make a friend and then next year in the summer, I'm at a different school. (laughs) Right. And so, um, for me, my first introduction to the NES was when I was five, my, uh, we couldn't afford one, but my, um, my uncles got one. I have some older uncles, um, and they got one for Christmas that year. Right. And so I watched them play Mario brothers and they, they got Trojan pretty quickly after that. And I just, I didn't have anyone to, to anything to do, so my mom would just sit me in front of the TV, and I just played that all day. Um, so it was sort of my babysitter, so to speak. Yeah. And then um, I just started to get really good at it over time because I just played it a lot. And, you know, when you're young, your hand-eye coordination connects faster, and, and you develop those muscle memories quicker because your synapses are firing better, and you haven't caffeinated your body for 30 years. That's kind of where it started for me. I just fell in love with doing that. And then once I realized that I was really good, other kids started to notice that. So when I would go to school, I couldn't make friends friends, right? Because I was poor and I had crappy poor clothes and bad shoes, right? And sometimes I didn't brush my hair because my mom was in a rush or whatever, right? But whenever the kids started talking about Nintendo, I would be like, well, I, I know how to do that, right? Yeah. And they'd, be, and they'd yeah. be like, they'd be like, shut up, braggy guy. I'm coming to your house. And I'm like, okay. And so they come over my house and I'd beat DuckTales or I'd beat Super Mario or beat Mega Man 2, right? They angry became your friends. <laughs> but only, only because I knew stuff about Nintendo. So at first it was just a cool thing that I could do that I could relate with some kids who pretended to be my friend for a while because I was good at N- Nintendo when I was in elementary school and, and early on. And so that's kind of how that came about. So in, in, in elementary school, they called me Nintendo Steve. <laughs> that's Because we had a lot of Steves because it's a very common name. Someone would be like, oh, you, you don't know how to get past this thing in Zelda? Go talk to Nintendo Steve. And some random kid would walk up to me on the playground and be like, where's this in Mylan's castle? Where do you find this? And I would just... <laughs> I, I would just tell them. Did you have a cloak? Did you sit? No. Like a... <laughs> it, sounds, it, sounds, it sounds ridiculous. I know. So it sounds totally Nintendo ridiculous. Nintendo Steve. You have to cross through the uh, the uh, the hopscotch patch and cut over across the uh, the slides in the jungle gym. You know, it's just a thing like I, that I tried to use to make friends with other kids in the neighborhood. We would play Nintendo together. We'd trade, swap Nintendo games. And it was just a, a commonality that I could, you know, share with other kids, right? right. Um, and... They were amazed at the things that I could do, and that was fun to, like, feel important, like, when you're five or six or seven years old, you know? It's got to be neat, though, being in your position and seeing this kind of more recent resurgence of these 
you know, like with the like Twitch streaming, because you know Twitch streaming hasn't been around forever, and like now there's like the retro collection, and like there's like this huge, huge resurgence of retro gaming. Which, in I mean, I've been a video gamer since I was a child as well, and I feel like this retro gaming kind of revolution has only been going on in the last maybe ten years or maybe so. Like it, so it's got to be unique, kind of seeing the scene get revitalized. It's awesome. I mean, like this is. I don't know, it's like a cliche thing now for me, but you hear a lot of bios or gamers. I've been gaming since three years old or four years old. Like if you're, if you're from the Nintendo era, yeah, everyone has like, that's a, that's not a, that's not an achievement. It's anyone that had a Nintendo was started in gaming and, and kept doing it because it's fun, right? So my journey is a little different. I was spending 15, 20 hours a day playing Nintendo at my house and not sleeping, right? My mom would have to like hide the Nintendo from me, right? I became absolutely obsessed. It's the way my brain works, right? It has to understand things and figure things out. So that's not normal like for a normal kid, right? So the amount of NES that I've played in comparison to a normal person is absurd, like just an astronomically absurd amount. Even even to most other speedrunners. And so that's why I know a lot about the NES and I can write books and I can help produce a magazine. is because I've just spent a lot of my life doing that. But the thing, to your point there, there was a period where, you know, NES games were two cents at Funko Land. Yeah. And everyone just traded them in and we moved on to Super Nintendo. And I played Super Nintendo and Sega in 64. A little bit of PlayStation 1 and then I, I kind of was, I was older in high school then and I moved over to PC gaming. And that, that fell yeah. in love with that. Started playing StarCraft and Diablo 2 and Warcraft and PC gaming just took off for me and I didn't really play Nintendo a lot but every now and then in my 20s and in late high school I would go to a party and they'd have a Nintendo there and they'd be like hey do this thing guy right and they beat Mario Brothers and then everyone would cheer right and they're all drunk or whatever dance um, for us dance yes dance monkey <laughs> yeah that's exactly what it was right and then um you know, I, I dabbled in other things, you know, I played laser tag for a while and I, I competitive card games and NES always was around. Like people still had nostalgic connections to it. And again, the, the big resurgence is basically just one guy and that's angry video game nerd. Without him, we wouldn't be here. None of us would be here. That, that, that's the guy, right? Uh, he is the, the pioneer. He's the Michael Jordan of retro games. He's the guy. So I started watching that stuff and then that took off into Pat the NES Punk and all kinds of other spinoffs as YouTube grew and then speedrunning Mike Uama and the early guys. So the early speedrunning guys I watch, you probably, you guys probably don't know these names, but can I tell you a short story yeah, about yeah. how I got started in speeding? Yeah. So uh, I was in a relationship for a really long time, and I was collecting NES, but I wasn't actively playing, and I didn't really know a lot about speedrunning at all, if, if it even existed. And um, uh, I was engaged, and the engagement broke off, and we were together for like seven years. And so I was left with a, a good job and, and no t- unlimited time to do whatever I wanted to do. I sat down for some months, and I said, okay, what are the, what are the things that I really love? What, what was something that's going to make me happy? And uh, when I was younger, I really was into music, and I played guitar and bass and drums and stuff. As I said, I really like music. I'd like to get back into that and i said i really love nes right those are two two things i really love music seemed harder because i hadn't played in 20 years right and so i was like man i don't want to learn guitar again and go through the whole band thing and and so i was like let's look up nes like who's good at nes like what what, what's going on with this right and i found speedrunning and i found sinister one sinister one was doing a pacifist ninja gaiden run that's where you don't slice with your sword unless you're at a boss and then I watched Funk Doc at a er- very early GDQ complete Castlevania without dying live on the stream. Castlevania 3. 
I'm sorry, oh, wow. Castlevania 3. Not Castlevania 1, Castlevania 3. And I was just blown away. I was like, the level at, that they were at then seemed in outer space to me. And I was like, holy cow, how do I get there? Like, I'm not, I thought I was good. So then I loaded up those games and I'm getting hammered, right? Because I think I'm good from when I'm 8 or 15. And so what I did was, is I said, okay, am I good or do I just think I'm good? So this is legit what happened. January 1st of that following year, uh, I got separated from my ex in November. I started playing NES every single day. I blocked off a six-hour period every day and I would play through NES games and right? I would force myself to play that I did that for 365 straight days I did it on Christmas I did not take any breaks I picked 10 games and I tried to play through all 10 games every day Ninja Gaiden Jaws Karate Kid Battletoads Ghosts and Goblins Silver Surfer Ninja Turtles I picked the hardest games yeah, yeah. it's just a rough game yes and and listen at first I got my ass kicked because I didn't know anything about the games but as I played more and I learned more and I watched the other speedrunner strategies, I got a lot better. And eventually I could beat all 10 of those games every day. And it was it was like going to the gym. And so that's not normal, people. If anyone wants to know how I got good at NES, I played it a lot and I sacrificed a lot of my life and I lost relationships and lost jobs and lost money obsessively playing NES. But luckily I'm, I have a better balance in my life than I did back then because I'm married now. My wife keeps me on track and I, I don't just get to binge. I think that's a good significant other is that's kind of the, they're supposed to compliment you and yeah. sometimes complimenting means that they need to keep you um, away from yourself because yes. sometimes we can be our own worst enemies. She keeps my train sure. on the tracks, man. Um, yeah. I, I, I wouldn't have been able to do it. Uh, Ape and Steve would not have been possible without her. She keeps me balanced and on track and tells me when I've gone over the edge, which happens more frequently than I would like to admit. And it's very frustrating because like, I know I'm going over the edge, but I don't want her to know. And then she'll come in and be like, give me the look. Like, why are you playing 1942 for eight hours? Right? <laughs> like, why are you doing that? You need to eat and do other things. <laughs> it's it. This is a pun, but it's a sick like i have a sickness oh that would have been that's that, a good pun that's like that's a that's a good runner-up name for uh yeah if you, need, if you need to do a second magazine do called sickness there you go uh and i think so i think speedrunners you have to be a little obsessive like and sometimes a lot obsessive it's it's a passion thing it's a thing that drives you crazy in cap on the magazine right the kickstarter is going to hopefully be live it's got a lot of great stuff in it foil versions of the magazine uh you can get access to quarterly meetings with the staff you can get special discord rights you can get early access to the magazines you can get pins posters bookmarks controller overlays uh custom uh garbage pail kid themed cards there's tons of cool stuff that you can get other than just the magazine plus it's completely packed full of the coolest nes people and topics and content that we can find at the end of the day zach is the collector of the brothers right so he's the one that actually has so NES, he's buying NES, the top NES tier cartridges. no but the thing is at the end of the day zach is also the frugal of the brothers <laughs> right so like so he's gonna I'm borrow gonna the money the, from you to i will i will buy i'm gonna I will, i'll see what the tiers are i make no commitments but i will <laughs> buy I, I will buy in on your magazine for my zero collection of nes properties and nes games so i mean i've played the nes but i'm definitely i'm definitely gonna back it this sounds yeah, great we'll, we'll both know. be we'll yeah, both we'll be we'll back, be back in it. it so look forward to uh the nest pro launch but you can't look forward to it because it's in the past anyway look <laughs> backwards find the kickstarter and pledge to 
them as much yes, money as you can. Please. And uh, make sure that this is a resounding success because this is this sounds like it's going to be very, very cool. And at least the Classic Gaming Brothers will give it a seal of approval, as it were. We'll provide uh, appropriate art assets for... Uh, We've made it. Put that, put that on top of the magazine. Right CGB the, seal right, of quality. You know, CGB seal of quality. No, listen, listeners, listeners. I wanted to get them an ad in the magazine. They wouldn't they wouldn't take it. They don't want it. It's true. We don't we, we don't They don't advertise. advertise. They don't <laughs> we advertise. Don't. <laughs> yeah. If you couldn't tell. So if you if you buy the magazine, you listen to this podcast and they don't have an ad in there, it's not because of us. We didn't we offered it to them. <laughs> um, so uh, so I hope everyone has en- enjoyed the episode. That's going to conclude our Indie Dev Lounge episode. All of 8-Bit Steve's uh, info will be in the show notes. Uh, do you want to do some of your social plugs and stuff like that? And then we'll... Uh, I'm on all the normal stuff. Uh, I'm on Twitch and, and Twitter. Uh, so if you if you see me on Twitch and Twitter, it's 8-Bit Steve with the word. So it's E-I-G-H-T-B-I-T-S-T-E-V. So that's Twitter and and, um, and Twitch. You can go to my website, 8bitsteve.com. That's with a number, though, so it's a little confusing. Apologies. Uh, so it's the number 8bitsteve. And then easywayguides.com for the strategy guides. And when the website launches, it's going to be Nespro Magazine, N-E-S-P-R-O Magazine.com. And uh, all those links will be in the show notes as well. And our information, of course, we're Classic Gaming Brothers. We're... Um, on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitch at Classic Gaming Brothers. And on Twitter, we are CG Brothers Pod. Feel free to like and subscribe to all of our stuff as well. And so you'll know about upcoming episodes, uh, including special content like this. If you want to send us an email, you can send us an email at classicgamingbrothers at gmail.com. And you can listen to us on all where podcasting apps are available. Zach, is there uh, anything else? Don't play games like my brother. And don't play games like my brother. Don't play games like me. I've been Seth. I've been Zach. I've been obsessed. <laughs> <laughs> and we've been the classic gaming brothers. And Steve. And Steve. That's and right. And Steve. That's right. <laughs> <laughs>